To be or not to be, that is a question. Whether it is nobler in the mind, the slings and arrows of outrageous fortune, to die, to sleep, no more. <laughs> so, <I> like <laughs> thank you. Hi, I'm Jamie Kelly, and welcome to Shakespeare on Screen, a podcast where I meet up with a special guest to talk about about filmed productions or adaptations of Shakespeare. And we ha- have a great start, and we're doing the total great loose adaptations. This is <laughs> going to be a lot of fun. And so joining me again is my good friend Phil. Hi, Phil. How you doing? I'm great, man. Thanks for inviting me again. This is fun. Well, thank you for this wonderful idea, and this is so much fun. We are doing a trilogy of Star Trek episodes that were all very much thematically and plot structurally in some of the cases, inspired by plays by the Bard. And Shakespeare has a huge, overwhelming influence on Star Trek, but in particular, we have these three wonderful episodes from the original series to talk about. But before we get into it, to do a little riff on what I normally ask, Phil, what's your relationship with Star Trek? My relationship with Star Trek goes back to the 1970s. Uh, I was a child of the 70s and 80s. So Star Trek, mm-hmm. I saw the original Isery runs, uh, not that old. Uh, <laughs> But this was it. This was our science fiction back when I was a kid. You know, we had this mm-hmm. and, and Battlestar Galactica and mm-hmm. Buck Rogers. And this was the best of all three of those. And mm-hmm. we, you know, I, as a kid, I was so obsessed with it. We had a you know, a friend that even we didn't have a VCR for a long time because it mm-hmm. wasn't around. And we would even tape them by holding our tape deck up to the television just to oh, get the audio sweet. up. Oh, sweet. Because we loved the dialogue so much, which looking back on it is a little, yeah. But it, mm-hmm. any, any way to re, you know, relive it. But yeah, I had a bunch of the figures. I had, you know, toys, and to this day, so I, I followed it all the way through, and you know, was excited when Next Gen came around. That came around in my college years, and that made, oh, perfect, uh, perfect, yeah, exactly, perfect timing for that. And I kind of lost interest in it during Voyager and Deep Space Nine, but, uh, but kept the love up for the movies. I still love the movies, and. Uh, uh, and kind of like the new stuff. The new stuff's fun. It's not classic Trek. It's its own thing. And mm-hmm. uh, I think it's losing some of the poetry that, as cheesy as the 60s stuff can get, there was kind of a poetry to the work that, that you know, and even Next Gen, where there was an idea that art is a bigger deal in the future. And I think we lost that as we got along. But anyway, that's that's my love of it. And it could have contributed to a love of Shakespeare because it's like Looney Tunes taught me to appreciate and love classical music. I think Star Trek was probably uh, one of the first things as a kid, long before I saw my first Shakespeare play, I would have seen, you know, uh, lines that I did not know until later in life were references directly to Shakespeare and, and some more so directly. So, yeah, that's a bit. How about you, man? What's your what's your Trek story? So my Trek story is. Surprising some people that would think because they know me i'm not the hugest trek fan but i would consider myself a trekkie i haven't seen a ton of trek but i've seen a good amount here's to prove my bona fides trekkies 
I was watching Star Trek Into Darkness and was uh, and just visibly and just had this physical reaction when they went with what they went with in Into Darkness. And my roommate, who was, I was watching the movie with him in the theater, he just looked at me. I was like, what? Because he wasn't a Trek fan. He was just like, what? Whatever. I was uh-huh. like, you cannot be doing what I think you're doing. Please do no. not. And then, and then, like, yeah, they were doing what I thought they were doing. I was like, oh, yep. no. No, no, no. I was like, it's fine if it's con, but you can't do no. Yep, they did no. it. And it was horrible. So, yes. yes, I'm with you. So that's that's legit. So I, I it's still, like, disappointed and pissed me off. So I'm still a, a good Trekkie. But no, um. I, I'm a bit more oriented personally. I've said this before, and it's controversial. I'm a bit more of an original series fan than Next Generation. I love me some Patrick Stewart. Don't get me wrong. But, and we're gonna get to when we talk to one of the some of these episodes. I have a little bit of a problem with the central thesis of Roddenberry. In that, like, there's in the his kind of utopian outlook that eventually just all our problems will be solved, which isn't there as strongly in the original series as it is in the next generation. Right. That was like his guiding principle in next generation is there can be no conflict. Although a little bit of it, I think a little bit of it pops up the, the idea that wealth is not important and property is not important because that's a key of one of these episodes and that, but you're right in next gen, they make a big deal out of that, that, you know, when when some old timey character time travels to the future and says, you know, how much does this cost? I'm like, we don't we don't talk about money. We don't talk mm-hmm. about wealth. We don't we we live a life to enrich ourselves. And and that wasn't as big a deal on Trek, but it was kind of cool that it, you kind of saw kernels of it in the episodes that we're going to talk about. Mm-hmm. Well, I love those ideas, but what I'm saying is like, yeah. unfortunately, it's just like it's. And I've I've listened to documentaries where they like there's a great next generation documentary about just the writers making the show with um, mm-hmm. some of the actors. Um, uh, Jonathan Frax shows up, but he just says, it's just like, like the, the first showrunner was like, he got Roddenberry's commands. Like, well, what can I do for the main drama of the show? If like the crew, if there is no, if there is no like conflict, right. Right. Like, wh- wh- where is the drama? Where's the show? And so then he like he he thankfully was like okay the Borg is that okay yeah all right thank goodness all right I got something yeah 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 uh, so I mean and don't get me wrong and one of the things I love and we're gonna talk about and actually okay all these episodes there's a there is punching and in, in unfortunately two of them. <laughs> But, but at the same time, pacifism more or less wins. Yes. In this. And so, getting it on with the ladies, because that's also <laughs> every one of these episodes. Curtain. Yeah. Okay. Uh, uh, to win the day. A message I wanted to say to you <laughs> that I didn't. I sent it to the wrong person. But. <laughs> oh no. Like full disclosure, but but like as I was watching like the the. <laughs> For prepping for this trilogy of episodes we're going to talk about, I, I said, it, like, watching, like, the third episode, it was Elon in particular. It was just, like, it was after watching this, like, all three episodes, it's like, Shatner makes out with a with a 
the guest woman star in each of these episodes. I'm just thinking to myself, oh, yeah. wow, this show wasn't, must have been a pretty decent gig for Shatner. I mean, I know, I know acting kissing and acting, like, especially acting sex scenes, like, they're not, nowhere near as awesome as it sounds. Yeah. But at the same time, when you're being paid to kiss a woman multiple times on, on a camera. Yeah. And she's a beautiful woman. Yeah. Doesn't seem like that bad of a deal. Yeah, he, yeah, he, he, he did. He, he had a, a good 60s for sure. He, yeah. But it, it was, it was interesting. I mean, picking three episodes, as you pointed out, one from each season, and they have all the, tr- the Kirk tropes in them. They're yeah. like, all, uh, you know, it's, it's like, oh no, was this the whole show? But it wasn't. But these three, for sure, all of it's in there. And yet in each one, there's a bit of a different side to the Kirk tropes that show. I understand the, the characterization of Kirk. Mm-hmm. I mean, I just did an impression of him, but of, of Shatner. But Kirk shows his, his nuances in each of these episodes. I agree. And shows yeah. that he's not just the, his reputation that he's parodied as of this sex-mad, gung-ho... <clears throat> captain it's like no especially w- when we talk about the last episode we'll talk about kirk is actually a very cerebral guy yeah not to the levels of picard where he pretty much does nothing but talking but yeah but he is a very like he does not rush into things necessarily well, that's a yeah that's a huge part of the last one it's not rushing into things. yeah well, I, I mean, have to say though, his, the the one you like that we're going to talk about first, I think actually showed some better Kirk stuff in the second half. Some like improves in that one. Some be- oh better. Better, yeah, some yeah. Oh yeah, no no no. Um, thing is like uh, and, and we're going to get into so oh let me, I'm burying the lead, but let, let's talk. Let's say which each episode we're going to do. We're we're doing Elon of Troyes from season three that. That is inspired by by the Taming of the Shrew and I believe Summer Night's bit, Dream. Summer Night's Dream. Right. Holy. Second one we're going to talk about is from season two, Cat Spa, aka the Macbeth episode, and the Halloween episode. Yep. Right. Exactly. And there's more about that. And the last one we're going to talk about is from the first season, The Conscience of the King. The Hamlet episode. Yes. So, let's get into the ugly first. But uh-huh. the thing is, like, and okay, kind of proving how much of a Trekkie I have. I even like the. I haven't seen a lot of truly awful episodes of Trek. I mean, there's a bunch of episodes from the original series I see where it's like, ooh, that did not age it well at all. Yes. Or like th- this, like this plot point, like yeah, this th- I would not do this now. Right. Yeah. And, and this episode in particular is like one of the best examples of, oh boy, this is kind of embarrassing now. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. But it, 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 but what's interesting is I think being done at the time it was, and with the ideas of women, how how men viewed women in that era, and some of that. If you, you strip some of that stuff away, there's actually kind of an interesting story underneath all of it. But you I have to get so. a lot of bad, a I, lot of bad stuff. I think so too, and I also think though that 
there is but what I was going to say is that even in the awful trek or at least trek that doesn't completely work mm-hmm. there is always something that's like oh but this it's not all bad and there's always like something that's redeeming and there's sometimes good enough acting where it's like okay this isn't a complete wash and even with what i was saying earlier bemoaning star trek into darkness for the first hour and 45 minutes star trek into darkness is a fun movie for me it's like yeah it's good it's good cumberbatch is con okay cool i mean they should have had a line where it said they bleached my face but you know yeah yeah it's all good but then the ending, yeah. Uh, anyways, so Elon of Troyes. So uh, doing my research about this episode, just some quick fun facts for you, Phil. Mm-hmm. Um, number one, like there's this great video you can find on YouTube where where uh, Walter Koenig introduces the episode. So so something about Star Trek that's worth talking about, and you mentioned earlier is like the three sci-fi shows and that's something that's so weird about trek is that trek is one of the most mainstream cults of all time yeah and what i mean by that is like like when when you think cult it's something like rocky horror picture show as in this really small dedicated fan fan base and trek is basically that but at the same time it's like what people forget is no Trek was on was on CBS when there were only three networks you could watch TV on. It was a mainstream show, right? It's a cult show in that like Star Trek only got three seasons, and so on paper that's kind of a failure. Twilight Zone had like five seasons in comparison, and just like Twilight Zone though. Compared to like other seasons, like though there's no not a no movie franchise for Love Boat. Probably a good thing. Yeah. No, no revivals of Gilligan's Island. Except there's for the made-for-TV movies in the 80s. They kept no. going back. But, but you're right. You're right. No made no. They didn't jump to the big screen for sure. So there's always been this demand, this popularity of trek that's persevered i mean it for goodness sakes before it got before it got the comics and the and the movies they they got an animated series so star trek never died it always survived but it was never like a huge rating smash it's never been a huge rating smash it's just something inherently cult in star trek and so in the introduction Koenig kind of like talks about how the producers always were complaining about how Star Trek wasn't a rating smash. And one of the theories was that it didn't appeal enough to women. And so apparently the women producer, the, the wives of the producers really responded to the script for Elon of Troyes. Apparently. Mm-hmm. That's interesting. That's according to Koenig. The other interesting fact, factoid, just to lay them out there, um, is one, this episode was also the first 
is one of the only episodes of Star Trek to have been written and directed by the same person. Oh, I didn't know that. Yeah. And number three, um, sad note that Koenig mentioned in the introduction Mm -hmm. was at the time they filmed this, Bobby Kennedy was shot. My God. Which devastated the the guest star, France Nguyen, because she was a major Kennedy supporter. Oh, wow. I didn't know that at all. That's amazing. Yeah. Yeah, you get to think about that era, everything that was going on in that era. Yeah. That's what a riveting decade to be doing that. Lots of good stuff. Did you see the other little bit? There was another interesting bit of trivia about her that she and Shatner did a show together, a Broadway show. Yeah, I heard this. So you go. Uh, like, what, 10 years before that or something like that, or a few years before that? I thought that was kind of cool. Thought that uh, So he had already, it, it, you know, I wonder if he had had anything to do with casting her. Maybe. Uh, and uh, the other thing is uh, France Nguyen, who plays Elon. She was, they would later reunite, fans. They would reunite, and they played a married a married couple uh-huh. in in Kung Fu. What? Yeah. No. They do. I, I I've looked at, at, at Kung Fu. I, no. <laughs> I've looked at the footage. Is Shatner does us wants to do a Doohan impression because he has a Scottish accent. Oh my God. I can't believe that. It's amazing. It's worth checking out. Um, oh my God, I, that's instantly... Uh, oh, I'm looking at the picture of it, and it's crazy. Yeah. He's got a giant mustache. <laughs> oh, my God, this is amazing. Oh, that's the best thing I've learned. Look at yeah. that. You go, a, you go a day, and you learn something about William Shatner that I never knew. And I thought I knew a lot about the man. Yeah. He's got secrets. He's got secrets to dig into for years still. Yeah. Well, man, he's a legend. So, so this is based on. I mean, I both uh, I'm astonished and amazed that Star Trek had the bravery to go into one of the problem plays as like, let's go for that and make a sci-fi version of that mm-hmm. for <laughs> for an episode. Was it a problem play in the '60s? That's I, I think wonder. like. I don't know, just like it's by it's by the 19th, I think even by the 19th century, just everyone kind of knew it was like, uh, it's kind of dicey. Yeah. I maintained uh, for our own group, group. Okay, so those uninitiated listening to this play, Taming of the Shrew is a play about this, about this in passionate, insufferable woman named Katarina, who has this really beautiful sister, Bianca, that has no personality whatsoever. And their father wants to, everyone wants to wear Bianca, no one wants to marry Katarina. And their father has forbidden Bianca to be married until Katarina's married. And this this gold-digging lunatic, Petruchio, shows up and says, I will marry Kate and I'll tame her. And through starving her and gaslighting her, he does. But the only thing that makes me be able to swallow the play is that actually the whole play 
is a play within a play. So I think that's a bit of a clue from Shakespeare to do not take this seriously. This is a play. Please do not take this seriously. And everyone lived happily ever after. <laughs> yeah. Anyways, so so it's a bit of an interesting choice to make this to put a, a sci-fi stamp and redo this story I think mm -hmm. so getting into it oh one other thing I think worth noting so France Nguyen is a French Vietnamese actress and production order wise this was the first time they had an interracial there was an interracial kiss depicted on screen not it it was shot before the the legendary uhura kirk kiss oh i didn't know that that's interesting but they didn't air it before the uhura kirk kiss so it doesn't get the credit oh okay that well that, the other they still, they still got it they still got it though and kind of unlike the other one, although it's still kind of a plage, the kiss is more romantic and less mind controlly. Right. Although still right. mind controlly. Yeah, actually they are both are mind controlly, yeah. But the other one, both of them didn't want it. Yeah. <laughs> this one only wanted. Yeah. Or one can argue because it's Captain Kirk. He he actually was hard to convince. It wasn't so, hard to convince him. Twist no. my arm, yeah. He's, yeah. <laughs> He's like, oh well, I guess I have to kiss this lady. So part of the why this episode is kind of it's what it is is it opens up. And my biggest problem with this episode is it doesn't know really what it wants to be. At first, it's trying to be a comedic episode, mm -hmm. which, and the comedy definitely doesn't age well. No. And then, like, halfway through, it then becomes a drama. Yeah, like an inter intergalactic conflict. So, let, let's Born maybe just, I don't know, let's just go through the episode plots and just weigh our thoughts, so... In the beginning of the episode, and where it's still kind of a com comedy episode, we begin with with Kirk kind of opening the episode, saying like, "I hate this. We're just do like this is a boring job. We're just doing a stupid dupl diplomatic mission." Mm -hmm. And he's just bored out of his mind already. Yep, not a good way to start a show, but there you are. It's a good start for like theoretically comedy, where it's like, "Oh gosh, I'm just gonna roll my eyes this entire time." Right, right. And then, theoretically, the big warning is, this is the most feared thing in Troyes, the Dolmon of Elas. But the Dolmon is a really beautiful woman. Dun, dun, dun. Oh, okay, and actually, I, I want to pause and just hear your thoughts. So, okay, something that many people complain, I think fairly so. So... I mentioned earlier having a bit of a problem with the whole whole 
humanity is perfected thing mm-hmm. about about Roddenberry. The other thing that I think it, everyone, a lot of people, fairly take Roddenberry to task for is well okay there's there's a whole other dark side of Roddenberry that I don't even want to get into other than suffice it to say it's good he's dead for for me too skeletons that are probably in his his closet oh yeah but um he he did seem to have some feminist progressivism in him he also, though, had a lot of, like, he obviously loved sexy ladies and making them be as sexy as he wanted to. So just the women in the uniforms of, are in miniskirts. And in this episode, officially it's credited as the most costume changes, although according to the more hardcore Trek websites I looked up, Actually, Conscience of the King has more costume changes. Heck yeah. But France Nguyen in Elon totally leaves the biggest impression for costume chases. Because my gosh, what they dress her up in. Yeah, it's pretty bonkers. And she's supposed to be a great warrior, too. So it's the it's the uh, the Frazetta view of how women in battle would wear armor which is, you know, <laughs> yeah bikini armor bikini armor yeah. yeah so like the first one like the first one is something but of like a of a heavy metal well you said Frazetta that's actually a good good call I would say or just like it's this skimpy one piece yeah it's her traveling and, bikini that's her Get walking around bikini and all of them are just like wow oh my gosh yeah then she has her formal bikini her battle bikini yeah then the then the second one she wears in the episode she almost wears a different outfit in every act pretty much yeah, yeah. the second one is is the worst it's like it's the way i would describe it is it's something gaga would wear Yes. It's just it's so damn flashy. Uh, just look it up if you if you must, but like she wears basically star pasties. And like this see-through not even top really. She's just like wearing plastic over her. Right. It's like, "Oh my gosh." Yeah. Jeez, guys, like I hope she she enjoyed herself wearing that. Because it's just like it's like, damn. Sure, she did. <laughs> Can't imagine. Just walking around in that on a set all day. Oh gosh. Ugh. But like a, I think keep that costume thing in mind because it's interesting what her last costume is. Well, the last two are like theoretically not as bad. Yeah. But they're still like incredibly revealing. Still. Yeah. But they're they're but they actually like the last the the. The last dress, which is the wedding dress, is like fully covers her body, which is the first time that you can only see like her head and her hands. Oh, it's still very form fitting, but it's not, you know, it's not as uh, it's not a bikini. It's not a wedding bikini. It's not a bikini, at least. But but Phil, like you 
my not remembering. Oh, I'm looking at the picture now. There's no sides. They forgot. There's no sides, and like she very kind of like it's kind of like it's it's a background detail, but like right after like Kirk shoes her away, she sits down and is like oh like because like I was like oh actually this one's kind of okay. The last That's, one was like was like backless and like yeah. is barely like concealed, like you upside down you. Yeah. Covering her breasts but now it's like it's like oh this one's kind of fun like fine like people would actually wear this one it's like oh my gosh yeah people yeah. would wear this one but still like ugh. yeah and i'm a straight man and i'm yeah on on like fan service level yay but like it's like oh this is too blatant man yeah this is so obvious <laughs> this is part of why this episode kind of like has me rolling my eyes yeah and then the then you get into the uh, and then on top of all that that makes it the first especially the first half hour tough is that she pulls a full what's interesting is she does a lot of the stuff that Kate in in uh, is Shrew is seen off stage doing you know like in, in yeah. Shrew you only hear about her physically beating people. Yeah, <laughs> you know, but in this one you see her like doing the petulant child and physically violent, you know, act all in it. You know, like whoa, you know, and it's yeah, they really went over the top with it, and um, it gets it gets a little handsy. There's a little yeah, okay, uh, and then like the the big problem, and they get more emphasized it in the second half, but it's mm-hmm. even there in the first half is like okay, is that. Is that the Dolman Elon is from the planet Elos? These wonderful names, and she is a, and they're supposed to do this kind of peace marriage where she's going to marry the the prince of Troy, Troyus, and the two of them they've been at war for years, for for centuries, and this marriage will finally bring peace to the the two two planets. And on the surface, that's a very Shakespearean plotline, you know, marrying off people for, you know, to make peace. That part seems like normal. Like, um, and it, if they even histor- dealt with that part of it. And like historically, I mean, oh no, 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 Henry VI Part Two opens up with, with right. Margaret being married to Henry VI as theoretically the peace between France and England. But then they read the terms and everyone's like, what the hell? We basically are losing France or giving it all away. Got to read the prenups. Yep. So, and by the way, just as as a fan of history, just to note, all these like theoretical marriage alliances, they never panned out. <laughs> Fr- France did not love Austria because of Marie Antoinette. Like Spain and England didn't, like, still almost went to war over cat despite Catherine of Aragon being married to Henry VIII. And, yeah, in real life, Henry VI, like, marrying Margaret of Anjou did not make the English love the French at all. They tried. They tried. Yeah, they try. I'll give them that. But, yeah, it doesn't really work most of the time. So, just saying. Just pointing this out. Part of why I don't like this in the beginning is like it's just it's clear that that one Elon is, is part of a of a matriarchy 
I, I think you can fairly infer that. Mm-hmm. And she's also like a warrior woman. So she just like scoffs at this like. And there. And like in, in a next generation episode, they would actually probably be more sensitive to all this. I'm just like saying like, well, it's her culture. So we need just need, just need to explain. And, you know, mm-hmm. we need to understand her culture and. She needs to understand our culture and, you know, sensitivity. In this episode, it's just purely like she is in the wrong. And not only that, but like she's being a ch- petulant child. And that's the way Kirk responds to it, to it all. And and offers to spank her, which was, like, no, please don't say you said that, Kirk. And he did. He did. Well, OK. All right. I put it down in my notes. This is one of the worst lines I've ever heard in Trek. And the most gro like I just audibly groaned of like, oh my gosh. You didn't. Did. Mr. Spock, the women on your planet are logical. It's the only planet in the galaxy where you can claim that. <laughs> That's an actual line in, in the tech in the episode. Oh. It's like, I like- oh, Oh, you didn't say that. I like that it's an ancient Earth custom called spanking. Like that that goes to your utopian thing. In the future, we've given up on spanking, but we still <laughs> read about it in the old days. Which okay. I, think is... <laughs> I will I will only defend the spanking line in that it comes back in the most genuinely funny way That's later. True. Yes. <laughs> So, so Kirk is supposed to, is basically theoretically Petruchio in that he's supposed to tame Elon. Is what we're getting at. The ambassador, the the poor blue ambassador, just like he's, gets he gets beaten up one too many times and just gives up. He's the worst ambassador. Like he's horrible at the job immediately. Like you, he he's like the least uh, savvy political person. It's like that they, they ran out of him. This is the one they had left. Like yeah. all right. Well, no, he's like he's like theoretically nice and just being like, oh, well, I've brought you a gift. I've brought you this. He's so condescending. Like, oh, <laughs> fair enough. Fair enough. I, I I will not defend him that much. Yeah. All right. I'll, I mean, I, won't, like I, I won't, won't beat up a green guy. We'll let him go. We'll let him. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Can't help it. He's green. You know, what are you going to do? <laughs> so it's not easy being green. No, not in this episode. So he gets, yeah, yeah he, gets, he he gets it worse than anybody in this episode, I think, arguably. Well, there's the one guy who straight up dies, but uh, oh yeah, oh that oh yeah, oh yeah, I forgot about that guy. Well, poor guy. All right, worst named character. Like he gets it worse than any other main character. Yeah, there's always a guy that dies. There's got to be that. Yeah, but anyway. So uh. Well, yeah, he gets the, the ambassador gets stabbed. Yeah, like straight up stabbed in the back. <laughs> and that's the thing—he stabbed in the back, so I can—you would think he was probably trying to leave. Yeah, like it wasn't like she stabbed him in anger. He's like, "All right, I'm out. I tried," and then she stabbed him in the back and left him there, yeah. and then called for maid service. It's like somebody come clean this up. Like, oh. Okay, another fun part that's like <laughs> that is like kind of genuinely funny. But like it's never really established as like or like really explored too much is that 
is that Kirk lent out Uhura's room for, for Elon <laughs> to stay, and Elon <laughs> trashes it. And there oh is a, a there is a scene where like where where Uhura wants to talk to Kirk, presumably to say like, "Hey, is she trashing my stuff?" <laughs> it's like when you have that cousin that you hate come over to stay with you when you were a kid, and they made yeah. him let him stay in your room, and you're like, "He's going through my stuff." Yeah. It's exactly what it was. Poor Uhura. We're talking about a a drama show, right? Not a not a sitcom. <laughs> This is very sitcom episode for sure. It starts off that way, anyways. Right, and then it, yeah, then it takes a hard. The, then okay, the, then the the best sitcommy moment, and one where I was like, okay, this is actually legitimately funny, was the scene of and plus France Nguyen for just owning it and and doing a great job with it, of her of Elon like eating the food. And she just doesn't she doesn't use a fork and she doesn't even pour a glass. She just drinks whiskey straight from the bottle. Right. And it's just like it was just so damn funny. I was like, okay, this is actually funny. <laughs> this, is, this is legit funny. Yeah. She spends that their planet only spends the time making different space bikinis. She doesn't have time to learn eating etiquette because every well, no i mean you know you're in the middle of a battle you just just eat the food who cares about That's right manners? yeah <clears throat> exactly you know vikings you know they drank from horns so and horns you can't put down you just finish the drink and then get another stab it into the ground that would work yeah. but also vikings didn't change their battle outfits every scene like that's not yeah, true busy in this episode it's like well, she's a dolman phil she's she's, she's got not a dolman the dolman yeah, the Dolman. Oh, I'm sorry. Yeah. I wonder if they win it by being the most petulant. <laughs> but, oh, then it, yeah. So earlier on, though, and Bones being Bones, like at the establishment of the episode, he says, yeah, yeah, this is going to be a boring mission. But yeah, but the women of Elos, they're said to be really hot. <laughs> he doesn't say that, but he pretty much says that. Yeah. Little and then dumb. they, and so after like they're everyone's seen Elon, there's a moment where Nurse Chapel asks the the wounded ambassador, like, what is it? What is it about these women that make them so damn irresistible? And then he says like, oh, it's their tears. Their tears have this kind of hypnotic quality to them. <laughs> Magic potion quality, if you will, because yes. clearly they can't charm the men because they're just being crazy magic yeah. them liking us yeah so so what do you in the first half is arguably the true half does any of it work like true like does kirk make a good petruchio i mean the thing is like petruchio is like is so larger than life mm-hmm. and so insane but just like how Katarina is is and what I say earlier about Taming of the Shrew being a, a play within a play mm-hmm. it basically demands to be the broadest play ever performed you cannot play that at all straight and because it's a trek you just can't veer that far and it's just so damn weird for me personally to see Shatner just say just say like I should introduce to you the ancient 
Earth custom of spanking. Mm-hmm. And and like behaving like the 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 mean dad who says, Use a yeah. fork, damn it. <clears throat> That's the thing that was missing that is at least in the Shakespeare is that Petruchio in the play has different strategies to try to figure what's gonna work and Kirk just basically just is his whole strategy is everyone just gives in to her, and if one person just would say no, then she would learn her lesson. Yeah, that, and that didn't really go anywhere. <laughs> yeah, just just him kind of pouting and like confronting her. He's not afraid of her. Right. I mean, okay, for this whole episode, I don't really like this episode. I mean, I kind of like it in the in a so bad it's good kind of way. Mm-hmm. Yeah. But. And the the sexist crack by 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 Kirk just really makes me groan. Mm-hmm. It's just like, ugh. ugh. Yeah. I mean, another review I heard is like Kirk works with actual women, like on the bridge, and there are tons of women in his ship, and he yeah. says crap like that. Mm-hmm. So. It's not a good shrew. Right. Because it, it, it can't be because of what I said, basically. It's a, the eating scene is the best scene for the real taming of the shrew moments. Yeah, that, that feels most like the original. Concept. And it also kind of works as, in a Trek atmosphere. Yes. yes. But also, again, getting into it, even before like Elon kind of mellows out, and just explains her situation even more and more. And even when she does a kind of evil things in explaining or justifying herself, it's still just like, I'm still just like, this is just her culture. It's like, you guys are, aren't trying at all to understand her culture. You're just saying like, oh, I don't like this. Behave. Yeah. Stop being a B word. <laughs> yeah. Women. That's how it mostly plays out to me. Yeah, it, and it well, they don't. And again, I think if you, you're, I think you're right. If they had done this as a more modern, if next gen or even later did an episode, it would be more about her valid plight about being. Because I think even next gen did an episode about. I think yeah, they the, did do the one something. woman that was like betrothed to another guy. It was the from Cage Johnson role. She was like the lady that was betrothed to a another guy but she woke up early and and she fell in love with picard and and it's kind of a reverse of this ah i need to check that out it's a really sweet it's actually sweetly done because she again same sort of thing she has to play a role like elan is supposed to play this role as the thing that's going to bind their two cultures together which again like you said is it doesn't always work but it's a very historically normal storyline Mm-hmm. Um, but they never get they never treat her like a human. They only treat her as a kid instead of the, you know, you're right. This does kind of suck. How do, what else could you do? You know, but they don't even try to offer that. They just they just like want to spank her, you know. Yeah. <laughs> so does it. But it but then where I think it gets better is with, when it switches to a different play. And then yeah. suddenly it gets more interesting <laughs> Then yeah. it gets away from that because they they literally when they introduce the magic potion eyes. The play completely shifts. It completely, it's a completely different play. It's almost like they had two different people write it, even though this was, like you said, uh, you know, uniquely one vision. But yeah. when she gets that, 
he touches the tear and he immediately instantly changes then we get into midsummer where you know like the the puck's potions eye drops mm-hmm. suddenly he's you know smitten with her and she stops being the petulant child and he uh you know is suckered into it and has to do the you know usual william shatner i got to make out with the the guest star lady on the episode and so- uh <clears throat> But then it, I think I think this is where it becomes an actually interesting episode that the first mm-hmm. half missed. The, What's your thoughts on that switch? It's definitely the episode gets more dramatic and more interesting, and it's where it's where France Nguyen gets to. France Nguyen is is part of the only things that makes this episode worth coming back to. Mm-hmm. I agree. Not just for the costumes, people. Her performance, I'm legitimately serious. She sells as best she can some of this. And okay, one of my jokes, Phil, but like I just had to write it down of like of true Shakespearean worthy dialogue. That one point Elon says, You cannot resist my love, my love. <laughs> and it's like as like and and like in that scene, like she's making out with him, and then like the door, there's like a, a ring at the door, and he's mm-hmm. like, oh, I should probably answer that. It was like, nope, nope. Yep. And then the door opened it, and it's Bones and and Spock looking Spock. at him. Yeah, and clearly with the look on their face, like this is just another alien encounter that we've right. seen every week. So okay, all right. <laughs> the one moment where it's like. They got this past the censors and good on them. Good on them. Is is after he she's hypnotized Kirk. There, she then repeats the line. Tell me, Captain, what is this custom spanking? And just like, well, it's um, we'll we'll talk about it later. Right. I'm like, oh no, he's gonna get into some. <laughs> some and play, okay. a bit of play. Go, go, Kirk. He's open. And, He's game. <laughs> and okay, just to 1960s having sex. By the way, the next scene you see is is and bringing in the big Trek nerd thing that, that for why this episode is important is it's the debut of the Klingon warship. Right. So the Klingons then become a bigger part from the second half of the episode. And the warship is introduced in this episode. And so then they try to contact Kirk, say, hey, something's weird. There's like this anomaly following us. It's the Klingon warship, but they don't know just yet. And Kirk is in Elon's bed. And Elon was lying horizontal and then gets up and is hugging Kirk. So gets away with it by 60s standards, but anyone it's like, oh, oh boy. Yeah. Yeah. He was just there to explain about uh, the inner workings of the Federation, I'm sure. Yes. No, they were just they were just lying down. That nothing happened. Resting, just resting. Yeah. Yeah. It is weird that that. So on a side note, so did you watch this on the the remastered Star Trek episode? Did you watch? I did. I did. Yeah. So what do you think of the? Because they redid all the special effects to be 
slightly modern, but also still maintain the looks like a model sensibility. Mm -hmm. That was kind of neat. I thought it was nice. I did too. I mean, they did a great job with the, the last half, like the last 20, 10 minutes of the episode is is this really action packed um, part where uh, I'm sorry. uh, I need to stop for a second. There's something important. Uh, I'll be back. So yeah, the uh, so yeah, I, I kind of like the new effects too. What surprises me is that this is a season three episode, and the D seven, which is so iconic, and the Klingons at this point had already been villains for you know ever since the beginning of the show, but mm-hmm. they weren't known for their ship, and here it is. Yeah, like, and it's uh, it was cool, and it's actually you know I was, what I really liked about it, this is again sort of a side note to the it, it's away from the Shakespeare stuff, but it's. The, the guy that wrote it gets because the, the you know one of the influences of of Roddenberry <clears throat> um, was the utopian stuff you talk about, but the other mm-hmm. is Horatio Hornblower. He always imagines uh, Kirk being a Horatio Hornblower on a mm-hmm. um, you know uh, the Queen's ship, and this one used a lot of uh, nautical terminology and they kind of blocked it and talked it out as if it was ships on a sea mm-hmm. you know with how he did the you know you know hold your course smartly and all the kind of stuff you hear when you watch those you know the hornblower the master and mm-hmm. commander like the stuff that the old timey sailors used. i thought that was actually really cool side note of the you know away from the shakespeare bit but just in terms of uh you know bringing it back to a old sailing ship sort of uh motif i thought that was really kind of well yeah the last um the last uh, part of the episode is is a great is a great TV budget submarine battle that we would get the full cinematic experience with Wrath of Khan. Right, right, right. So that's right. It's a good point. Like this was they actually were able to do the special effects they weren't at the time because at the time it was probably yeah. Oh, so um, screen with like lights blowing up on it. That's it. Yeah. Well, the early. Earlier I said like that this was shot second, but they didn't air it for a long time because they realized like oh there's tons of special effects in this episode of the big battle at the end, and it's like oh we're gonna need time to shoot all the special effects for this episode, so this is gonna be yeah. in the middle of the pack. Yeah. That's so why it took a while to air. So what did you think? So the so after so the midsummer thing is that it. it and I love the, the the ending line that that makes it clear that this becomes a love triangle scene from from uh, Midsummer, where mm-hmm. he you know he's been you know smitten with magic to love a woman, but his yes. real love is the ship. And I was like, oh, that's kind of cool. They're like that, I wish they had started. You know, it's like the, there's this goes to your point at the beginning of this that this is not a perfect episode by any means, but there's so many little kernels that if just a little tightening of the writing or a little bit of, you know, maybe a little bit more modern sensibility. Like, I love that idea that, that, uh, that yeah, the enterprises is, is, is his first love, right. That love supersedes. And you see that for the rest of the episode and that, that actually, it improves the drama. Like when yes. it comes to the drama, one, that's also when, when Shatner really Shatner, the actor is on display and it's much more interesting to see right. him. And yes, I do understand for, for some people that's like, it's a bit too, too theatrical and so muggy but like i actually know i like that he's emotional and and struggling yeah. is like ooh, yeah oh and being confused and if you take in mind what he says earlier for <laughs> that they the two of them have already had sex 
him later on saying like, oh, what we did was a mistake. I, I have Aww. to send you over. Yeah. And they're saying, could you do that? I both like the hypnotic elements to it. And I, and I think almost it would have been a better episode if it had just been more about this in, in, right. in some ways of, of her just like trying to like, it would have been a bit more cliche. And there's a whole book that has a, and they talk about this of race in, in Star Trek. And there is, it is problematic waters to have, have an Asian actress play a seductress with magical mm-hmm. powers. Right, right, yeah. I mean, we said Roddenberry is progressive, but he still was a man of his times. Yes, he was. But I, at the same time, do like that the temptation scene is fun of of her saying, like, well, no, you got your ship. And this is actually something that's going to be a recurring theme, but in all three episodes, the three women are fascinated by Kirk's power. Mm-hmm. That's a good point. Yeah, is the woman is Elon says like you have this great ship, you could destroy Troyes and you will be my king and rule the system with me. Mm-hmm. And he's just like, oh, that's barbaric. No, but I'm thinking about it. Yeah, but he's thinking about it, and I do like later on of just yeah. him, of that struggle and him just. Yeah. And her later on saying, like, would you really be comfortable with me in a wedding dress to another man? And he actually says, no, but I have to. Right. Yeah, exactly. So he admits, like, like, (laughs) no, no, I'm I'm not happy by that thought. And and to your point, it was actually low-key shatter acting. Like, I thought it was actually really well done because he didn't ham it up for that scene it was actually really kind of a tortured moment i, I yeah mm-hmm. the whole thing and, and her acting was she had she became very different in act two as well because she you know i like that they played out the part of her seeing the consequences of what's all of this going on at you know she keeps coming back to the bridge and she keeps wanting to see and stay near him as all this is happening and every time she comes back up she's slightly more subdued well um, then she ends up at one point like saying like no i i actually love love you so i don't know how much that's manipulation because it seems like at the end she's genuinely sad to leave kirk yeah yeah like it's not the potion or the yeah and okay for me wishing this episode and maybe like another episode or heck novels could really have explored this but like she one line she says at one point is like i chose you and you chose me it's like okay we know that's garbage (laughs) yeah lies but at the same time that could have been an interesting, like, me being the Star Trek and sci-fi fans, like, no, that could be part of, like, culture. Is like, whoever you, the, the, the Elon woman chooses to cry on, that's her choice. That's like the active of courtship of, okay, I choose, so now we're going to be permanently bonded. Mm-hmm. Right. It's still problematic, but it's like, that's interesting. That, that's something you could explore, theoretically. And they... And they come back to it. She later on says the same line again, where she says, I've chosen you, but she doesn't have the, you've chosen me. Like she's now admitting some of the reality of it. And Mm -hmm. it's the, it's the one scene where he admits that running away is a better solution, which is so anti Kirk 
too from a lot of the you know from the uh, mythology of Kirk that he's always wanted to be fisticuffs, but he's like, no, heck no, I don't have to fight. That's uh, you know. So I thought it was cool. I like. I, I agree. I think this would have been a neat. Yeah, it would be a cool novelization or a longer explored storyline. But mm-hmm. they got the. They got they got mouths to feed. They don't have time, so get in and get yeah. out. <laughs> well, I mean, what redeemed Star Star Trek Beyond redeemed the flaws of Into Darkness by having Kirk's final lo- final line, but with the bad guy spoilers, I guess, is just like I live I live so that I could die so that others could live. That's the life I choose. Just like that. It's like, oh, that's wonderful. Yes, that is Kirk. That is Kirk. Yeah. I did like Star Trek Beyond. That's my favorite of the new ones. Because mm-hmm. it feels like the old show a little bit. I got a soft spot for Eleven just for the cleverness of, of what they do. <laughs> of like, of a, of, it's a reboot and a sequel at the same time. A reboot like, quill. It's like a, it's a genuine reboot quill. That, and it's the best of the reboot quills. Right. One time in history. Let's put Elon. Let's put Elon to bed. I think we're done. Yeah, I think let's, yes. Elon to bed. Yes. Let's spank that lady. One. La- I don't know. Uh, it's all its problematic glory. <laughs> yes. France Nguyen is great in the episode, but. Uh. And their scenes together could be pretty cool, but yeah, as overall, yeah. No. But I still think it's my second favorite of the night. The next one, I have more problems. Really? Okay. All yeah. right. Here we go. Here we okay. go. This might be a bit of a debate, but okay. All right. So, Cat's Spa, season two. Fun trivia fact. This one was written by the author of Psycho, Robert Block. And uh, the other fun thing is that they is that they realized like, oh, we made a Halloween episode, so we're gonna hold off and and air this on Halloween for a Halloween episode. <laughs> and every kid will be like not watching it because they'll be out on Halloween. Yeah, but all the parents will be yeah left behind. Will be watching this instead. Heck yeah. So okay, so we we it is a Macbeth episode, and there is thematically some Macbeth in the in the two characters, but it's not Kirk. <laughs> Which already makes it not as interesting Correct. compared to the final episode, and even arguably Elon, mm-hmm. in terms of like the Shakespeare references are more just references. Right. It's yeah. And honestly, I'll say this right now, kind of undercutting the, this part of the episode. This episode, the story is honestly more of a really good Lovecraft story than it is a yeah. than it is yeah. a. Shakespeare story. I agree, and it would have been cool if they leaned into that, but they kind <clears> of <throat> they were playing a few different things off. But it starts off. I will say, of the three, this one starts off the most interesting. I love the the opening of this. Yeah, and I I want to see the original one because in the because you the remastered version, the planet was black and white. I was like, that's so cool. <laughs> like the whole planet was like a big gothic globe. I'm like, that's all right. That's really great. Mm-hmm. I don't know. If, I don't think it was in the original. I think that was just a really cool design idea. 
And like our yeah. last discussion about Kurosawa, it has that really strong, foggy opening that you're like, okay, they oh. get. Yes, atmospherically. And so why, um, I mean, it's Robert Block, so he he likes horror. He brings up the horror. And something one critics for uh, the great podcast critically acclaimed talk about in their Shakespeare, in their um, Star Trek podcast is Star Trek was for the first season a bit of a horror show and it always never completely divorced itself from horror at times that makes sense now actually I didn't think about that but you're right yeah and when I thought about it I was like yeah actually yeah I mean, and this is like definitely like the more horror episodes or more crazy sci-fi hardcore heavy sci-fi is episodes like Catspaw where it's like where it's Kirk and the Enterprise dealing with these godlike beings that just look at down at human beings as just these fun playthings. Mm-hmm. And Catspaw is one of those. So atmospherically, though, yeah, beginning with a this planet of fog and spookily, one of the spookiest redshirt deaths there can be. And unlike other episodes, to their credit, the redshirt dying, redshirt Jackson, uh-huh. his death is referenced throughout the episode and at uh-huh. the end of the episode also to say mm-hmm. this wasn't all just fun and games. Mm-hmm. So this mor- redshirt was actually mourned. It was. Well, it, maybe this is why he was wearing a yellow shirt. He was a gold. Yes. And they asked someone actually a little trivia. Someone did like a study of that when, it, you know, the red shirt meth and more people in the show died wearing the gold shirts than the red shirts. More <laughs> like that. And this guy proves it. And, and this was actually a great creepy death too. Like, again, that was just a great opening. Mm-hmm. You know, they're the guys like robotically saying, beam me up and they beam him up and he dies. And then he, you know, voice comes out of his mouth. I'm like, yeah, that's all right. So far, so good. You got me. So why I appreciate this episode is um, we said this off air, but this episode I, I, I give major points for and why it's in the middle for me is because points for trying. Points yeah. for trying and some really great hardcore sci-fi ideas are in here. Mm-hmm. It's just unfortunately this is the most dated of the episodes where you can't – they could theoretically, but they don't george lucas this up fully to clean up the effects and make them look better i think the castle do you think the castle because i know the space stuff was redone i think the castle when they're looking at it i think that was a new background i'm thinking i wonder i don't you know, know i don't think so it looked really clean but yeah. i have to look that up it was good i thought it looked good i mean if it was the, the original the, one, it the was castle great. looked fantastic yeah from the that outside fantastic yeah yeah Along with the atmosphere and the witches, the witches scene. Yeah. So the one Macbeth, truly Macbeth moment, is the witches warning him. Yeah. Although it, they're not giving has, any prophecies, they're just like warning right, him. Just, right. They're just you're, you've been cursed. I'm like specifically, do you have any? Yeah. Yeah. Shakespeare usually gives us a couple things, a couple few hints. But it does have my favorite line in the whole show. Okay. The, the witches, you know, they're creepy. The makeup's really ugly, and 
and and you got this mist and everything and it's super dark and they're like frightening and and then it ends and Kirk looks over at Spock and he goes, Spock comment and and the Spock's response is very bad poetry, Captain. I'm like, that's <laughs> he like burned the witches. He and verbally burned the witches and it was great. Burn the witch. And he he actually was one of my favorite parts of the whole show of of the episode is that he clearly and I don't know if it was the actor or Spock clearly thought it was all BS the whole time. He's just like just not engaged. Like because it, it, it's it's the, the one of the story points is that this is all based on humans ideas of fear mm-hmm. and so he's just he doesn't buy it at all from the beginning and never and which i love he just is constantly looking at it like this is really ridiculous like going to a kid's haunted house yeah and being like when you're an adult now it's like this really isn't that scary but everybody else is like losing their mind so i love that but his opening line just you can't be you know just criticizing their poetry like when that, how would that change macbeth if if Macbeth, you know, hearing the big speech from all the witches, and that's his first response. Like that could have been written better, you know. And yeah, but (laughs) well, I mean, theoretically, and it depends on which reading, but in some versions, uh, Macbeth just laughs off the prophecies, and Banco jokes about it. That's true, but not the writing. They're just, you know. Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) Well, and but what you're touching on is like that—that's the nature of Spock, right there. Spock is, you know, he's logical so just yeah. like just like from the that purely logical standpoint it's like no this is bull yeah yeah no yeah. no this is just it's like i'm not at all impressed by this or i'm not swayed because i'm just purely logical yeah 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 whereas mccoy and and kirk are just like kind of joking even about it yeah there's a moment also one point where where by the way in a bit of the, the tongue-in-cheek moments where Kirk is about to sit, call McCoy Bones and then there's a skeleton next to him. <laughs> yeah, that's right. I forgot about that. Like, oh, uh, yeah. Oh, McCoy. Yeah. Oh, there What's is nice a... about the skeleton, too, that I feel bad for the updated because they clean this up, right? They, they clean it up so you can blast it onto a giant, you know, HD television. And... Yeah. My guess the skeleton didn't look as classroom biology class skeleton on a oh. television screen. <laughs> yeah. But here it's like, oh, it's clearly they took it out of a classroom and, and hung it up. At the same time, though, Phil, this is like a wonderful tangent. Thank goodness that it was shot on film mm-hmm. and that they can do this beautiful cleanup. Oh, right Lord. here, this and Twilight Zone is like, oh my gosh gorgeous gorgeous it looks beautiful in hd yeah even when yes i can see yes these are these some of these sets are really fake in star trek it's like but it's still like you get to see shatner in hd and it's all beautifully preserved yeah yeah like whereas like later shows they they wouldn't they would skimp or just the technology was there where they would just shoot on television yeah, shoot on video, and it's yeah, you, you and, lose it. Oh my gosh, if you like, I love BBC Shakespeare. Getting it back, tying it back to Shakespeare. Mm-hmm. I'm a huge defender and admirer of BBC Shakespeare. It's all shot on TV, so it yeah. looks like crap. It didn't look good then either. Like when I was a kid, you're never like when you see like the old Doctor Who's and all that stuff from that era. It, it didn't. 
looked good then and it still doesn't look good. Yeah. So, yeah can't fix it. Yeah. So but this I mean, just Yeah. And so and play for this episode is like this is a visual episode. Very much. This is a visual explorer episode. And like and oh, the other big trivia. So this tri- trilogy of episode actually is really important for Trek fans. This episode is the debut of 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 Chekhov. This is the episode where Chekhov makes his first appearance. That's right, the Davy Jones character. <laughs> that's, that's right. I didn't even think about that. That's true. Yeah. Oh, and he's got big hair. His hair is like never yeah. bigger. This really terrible wig on him. Chekhov was introduced also, by the way, just it was one of the one moments where like there was a criticism where it was like where Roddenberry was like, oh, damn it, you're right. Where the Russians were like, oh, this, oh, the Americans, typical Americans, they have a show in space, but they don't have a single Russian. <laughs> and it was like, oh, you're right, of course. How could I have oversight? have done that oversight. So now Chekhov's on on the bridge. And running it gets to be the in charge for a bit, which is kind of fun. Yeah. Although no, there's there's the there is like this actual captain, this right, replacement right. captain. Yeah. It's kind of like, uh, couldn't it be Uhura or just anyone else? Yeah. But, but no. Literally any of your other higher, you know better actors let's do that but now let's take wooden guy yeah he, he's one of my complaints uh, this is where the show starts to lose me he's one of them mm-hmm. <laughs> so horrible yeah so then we get to the main event which is that we meet the the wizard korob great name it is and and Korob tries to like sway them, saying, "Ooh, I've, I can give you jewels. I can give you food. Just give me your secrets." And they're not at all impressed by that. Right. That's fun for what you were touching on earlier, of just like the the. And this is where the utopian optimism yeah. comes in, where they're just like, "Yeah, they're shiny rocks. We don't care." And Kirk actually says, "We can synthesize this in the ship." We can make these all over the place. Yeah, yeah. I, and I love that. And it's it, that that's where the it connects to the new Trek a little bit, where they're yeah they're not by that. Mm-hmm. And um, it also alludes to what Spock later figures out is that they're only connected to the subconscious mind. So the subconscious mind still has this kind of like affinity for you know shiny things. And like these affinity to these old fears that are just innately human, just like a fear right. of spiders. It's just like it just it's in us. Yep. But whereas some, and so then they pull out the big guns, and and this a pretty lady comes in. And her name is Sylvia. So I'll say this sometimes like it it is kind of annoying sometimes when it's 
and this episode almost feels like a cheat at times. They do mm-hmm. kind of are able to figure a way around it, but it's just like it's like Star Trek meets magic for most of this episode. Mm-hmm. It really was. It was like they they later come up with a decent explanation. It's like no no no, like this is like we're interdimensional beings and like this is our science and like to you our science is magic. And they've done that better on Trek, and even in the, in this series they've done the whole figure out what the magic is and they make that the whole plot this one they kind of hand wave it a little bit yeah but at the same time no it becomes a bit of a plot point so and what i was saying earlier for lovecraft um well no bring it back a little bit to shakespeare there is shakespeare in macbeth and lady macbeth in that in that korob is actually not as infatuated with being a human, mm-hmm. which he 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 implies more and more is like he's not used to this form. He says, I think, mm-hmm. to that effect. Right. And he and he's just like not as enamored as Sylvia is. Right. Like Sylvia's like, I really like this form. I like the state of being. Yep. And that's fun. And there's really interesting ideas at play with that mm-hmm. but what was i getting at uh oh just that uh, well i, I why, well i'll i'll follow up on that though because that's where it started to lose me is that the setup was all really great i love the the images and the the, you know, the horror themes and the idea <clears throat> and they do explore the I, it's it's a radical idea that still, you know, there's some, you know, it's not a scientifically supported idea, but the idea of racial memory, I thought it was interesting they brought that up because that's always mm-hmm. been a, this theory that we have, like, encoded in our genes, memories that, that you know, we, we like you said, you respond to things that our ancestors would have, like, flipped out about, but we're like, why, or why am I scared of that, you know, but mm-hmm. it, there's a reason. And I like that. That's interesting that they build on that. But so all that stuff was cool. And I love the references to the old ones. Like, uh, yes, I never got I never got that as a kid. But I'm like, as a more older, you know, you know, enjoying the Cthulhu mythos. I'm like, they made a reference to the old ones in a Star Trek show. (laughs) Like you said, it would have been cool if they could have just dug deep into the creepy, you know, uh, otherworldliness of that. But that's the thing. They, They start to back off of that. And it just becomes about, you know, her reveling in her new body and then they they get away from the the I, I, the relationship between the lady macbeth and macbeth characters of the story and this goes to your first point about because they didn't make kirk the main character of this little mini drama or any or any one of the actors i mean you're 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 three of your five main cast members are zombies for most of the episode <laughs> they, yeah you know, they, they get they right away Scotty and, and Sulu are out of the game. Oh yeah. They well, well, they they debut yeah. in the episode as like, and like the first time we see them in the episode, they're zombies. So yeah. Yeah, yeah. And then they add McCoy to that really quickly. And McCoy, who's my favorite, he's like he has. That's why you want all three of them together because they have the best color commentary on any of the weird stuff going on. And they zapped him out of there too, so you're just left with these this arguing married couple you know, on the surface. Um, and, and then we, then we get, we get, but 
get the usual Kirk act where I'm going to seduce the lady and that'll solve our problems. And I'm like, oh, no, we're going there. You know, uh, that's where it, unlike Alon, where I, it got better as the episode went on, this one got worse for me. But what what puts it up for you? What do you what what brings this one ahead to you in, in terms of. Uh, Unlike um, Elon, which still, like, it's just, even the better part is still so problematic. And just a little bit, again, like, some really cringy dialogue, like, you cannot resist my love, my love. But, (laughs) whereas, it just cracks me up. It's just like, that's just like, that's going in my memory of just like, ooh, that is so... That's something like you'd expect George Lucas to write. Right, right. It's like it's right there with that, that Attack of the Clones dialogue. But it's, and I love George Lucas, by the way. I'm not really dissing him. Right. It's all said with love. It is. It, yeah. Is I love the old ones idea, and I love what, like, so the heavy sci-fi and Lovecraftian ideas, and there is a bit of a Macbeth in that in that what I was saying earlier, now I'm remembering what my point I was trying to make, mm-hmm. was that Korob is a little bit like Macbeth in that he has ambition, he has desires, mm-hmm. but he is not as deep in his desires as as full of ambition and drive as Sylvia, the lady to Macbeth of the story has. Right. And that's interesting. Yeah. That's an interesting idea. And I do like the idea and I love these big, heavy, heady concepts of like, of, and something Spock alludes to, which they show at the end, kind of unsuccessfully. And this is the shortcoming mm-hmm. of the episodes again. But it's that the the whole idea of, oh, of like, these are truly alien aliens. Like, these aren't like, no, no, no. These aren't like humanoids that we run into all the time, the green people. Mm-hmm. Like, no, no, no. These are like aliens and they and as there's something actually clever in in this episode this is the only one where it's kind of there in conscious of the king but not maliciously is that kirk making out with with a woman (laughs) is him actually using her right like her take him kind of like manipulating her and i like that touch of like it's like where she ends up spilling the beans because she's drunk on, she's never felt the, these sensations before. Right. And that's a fun idea too, of like that this is just a new form and this is a new ex- experience. And I like this plane of existence more than I liked my other plane of existence before. All these are fun and interesting ideas. So for me, that's why it it it, it elevates it up for me is. Right. There's some good ideas at play. Yeah, I guess I, I see that. Yeah, I can see that. So, unfortunately, like, Sylvia is not the best acted. She's fine, but she's just like, it's just kind of like, yeah, does her job. Right. Just like Korob does his job. Yeah. And again, like, points were trying, yeah, but at the same just, time, it's just like the the black cat, the giant black cat. It's like, oh, you're trying. Yeah. You're At trying. least that was that was clever. That was actually using some stage techniques to do yeah. a, a television show, which I thought was cool. Mm-hmm. Yeah. 
we can't make a giant cat, but we can make itty bitty little sets and use shadows and light. Mm-hmm. Okay, that's pretty cool. I I kind of like Korob, I did, but I think the lady just was not. She didn't do it for me. Unlike Elan, who was a strong actress, this was not as yeah. And he was very one note, and you could see his struggle. He at least had a little bit of a struggle, but I think he wasn't written very well. Mm-hmm. I think the actor was kind of interesting. But <clears throat> unfortunately, that was also one of his last performances because he was it. Is that yeah, the sad he, story? Oh, no. The sad story was the Robert Kennedy. St- well, actually, I have one more That's, sad story later on. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. But this 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 is a sad one, too, though, because he's kind of cool. But yeah, well, yeah, yeah. I, here's your last episode is a creepy Star Trek episode. I guess it's worst ways to have your end your career. So, yeah. Well, he did, he did nothing to be ashamed of to, for, for a last performance to go off of. That's yeah. always sad. It is sad when, like, a great actor, their, like, their last role is not something, like, to to write home about. Mm-hmm. I mean, I mean, poor Bella Lugosi, the last, um, uh, I'm in the middle of something. Oh, the string. Is that his last movie? Yeah. Bye. I'll talk to you later. Okay. Stop, man. Sorry. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. Um. Sorry. <laughs> real life coming in. Yeah, real life. It, it finds you. It finds me. I was avoiding it. I don't want real life. I want to just talk about Star Trek. <laughs> right. Um. And like so, the last second we see is is we we see their real bodies, which look as fake as crap. Yeah, what were they thinking? Well, I mean, but they are bonkers. Po- 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 points yeah. points for like when it's a crappy 1960s color TV. I'm sure it didn't look as bad. It's just in glorious HD. Yeah, you're like, oh, there's little puppet strings. But they yeah. had the creepy squid face, which is cool. They get, they still throwing in a little of the squid action. Oh. Which is kind of cool. But then it was like a squid with like a goofy hairdo. But I, I get what you mean of the, it just like the story kind of peters out. Yeah. It just becomes a chase. <clears throat> and right, it did. And and they always and they kind of kept up with the lighter touch music like they never they did it's almost like they're afraid to really just do a full-on horror episode Mm. so they always kind of played it that kirk was a little above all of it like he i never felt like anyone was super in danger you know what i mean like even at the end they're just like all right now we're being chased by a giant cat what the hell you know like it it still felt like a haunted house that they were stuck in versus a you know what what it could have been which is like you know, I'm sure Robert Block would have loved to have done, which is a full-on what if. Because what, what these two are, are supposed to be like explorers, right? For the old ones, like from another dimension yeah. coming into this dimension to kind of make contact. They they could have played up the whole, they're, they're kind of similar to Captain Kirk. I mean, they're just explorers, but they're doing it in a different weird. And I think Star Trek's done that again a few other times where they'll have truly alien beings trying to understand this universe and... and uh, I love the idea of doing it like this, but again, it just, there was no, there was no, like, I don't know. I never felt any real threat. 
you know. Mm-hmm. Just was not. It wasn't scary, and, and and then his turn, you know. Then he then he definitely stops being Macbeth because he doesn't get driven down the dark path. He just. Well, I mean, hey, these are Shakespearean riffs, and the last one we're going to talk <laughs> yeah. about it doesn't follow the Hamlet. That's trajectory true. at all, in the end. Yes, but you're right. But a little bit, you know, a little. It, it definitely has it, but it 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 didn't keep me to the end. Whereas the other one had definitely a, a trajectory to the end where you're like, okay, I want to know what happens next. And yeah. You know, I and will the, give you that. Uh, as problematic and eye rolly as Elon of Troyes, I did want to see where it went. Right. I did want this, to see where it went. But, right. But 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 I did want to see where Cat's Ball went also. I was more invested uh, clearly than you were with it, but eh. either way, it's still just like I think we're both agreed, like, neither of these episodes were great Trek. No. I think, though, like, we've been able to, we've been talking for over an hour already, so there's still plenty to talk about in these episodes. And I do like the idea of just that humanity itself is actually, like, this really awesome state of being. Mm -hmm. And that, like, Sylvia is just so infatuated with it. I was like, ooh, this is fun. So no, no, I don't want to learn anymore. I just want to enjoy this. Right. What did she say she is? She's all woman? She's all women or all woman? Yeah. Something to that effect. Yeah. Well, then, like, she just goes through changes. Like, look, I can look different. I can be any woman you want. Right. (laughs) It's not any woman you want. It's just any it's the same woman with goofier hair, you know, hairdos, goofier hairs and a different (laughs) outfits. Yeah. Go, go girl outfits. Yeah. I was like, okay, that's kind of funny. Um, Which, again, I think they explored better in other episodes. Actually, the what's the one? The pilot. The the original pilot, the cage. Oh, the cage. uh, Yes. With that one actress playing all the different characters in his uh, flashbacks was really cool. Like it was yeah. really cool. Yeah. And this one, they yeah, they, again, it, they only let it, they they kind of limited the scope of what it means to be a human, you know? Because I'm trying yeah. to think. I'm, I'll swear to God, they've done something similar to that with X with other uh, episodes where someone finally becomes fully human and they kind of take advantage of that, the fact that they don't know how to handle their senses. And he mm-hmm. kind of does that with this. He kind of overwhelms her with a little bit of yeah. antic stuff. But again, it, it simplified. Well, it, it was kind of insulting to women and insulted. You know what I mean? It wasn't very progressive in that regard. Like That, it, that the feminine wiles <laughs> can overwhelm her? Yeah. That she, uh, yeah. I, I guess, yeah. Wasn't uh, I'm not, I'm not going to really debate you on that. It's just like, yeah. <laughs> yeah. Mm. It could have been a more, again, again, I think a more nuanced thing would have been uh, a stronger story because I definitely agree that the kernels of it were cool, and again, probably a novelized form. This would have been something that they could have explored the, you know, the creepier stuff. But yeah, they kind of got away because they didn't make it creepy that they were the, with the, when they were possessed either. Like I wish they had done more with that, but just being mindless was like, yeah. I mean, there was something genuinely creepy to when they're like encased and when like they they put the Enterprise in in a fire yeah. at one point. That was cool. Yeah, the sympathetic magic stuff was actually pretty cool. I like so that. I think all that works. And so I like it more than you do, but... Yeah. I, I will say, though, a memory from it is I want a Christmas ornament of to make one <laughs> of the 
the encased in plastic plasticine or whatever that is you know when yeah. she hangs it it puts the little shield around i'm like oh my god that would be such a cool ornament that so, would be that would be fantastic <laughs> i am attracted to that so still cool i still like the episode it, but it just wasn't as riveting to me as the uh, the last one or the 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 one we're going to do next which was i think beginning to end was just a all-around great piece of work yeah so we're both agreed on that so the great episode yes the conscience of the king season one and um all right so the sad trivia is this was the last episode with yeoman rand and she doesn't even get a dignified end to the character she just shows up in one shot that's all she gets and in real life grace lee whitney there's multiple accounts for why she was fired the nicest version is that they didn't is that she was getting too close to kirk the character was and they wanted uh-huh. Kirk to not be tied to one woman. The other accounts are that Grace Lee Whitney was an alcoholic at the time. I've heard that, yeah. And was not easy to deal with on set. The other story I've heard from her own account was that she was assaulted by a producer good lord and when she went to confront and tell the studio she was fired oh my god none of those are good yeah it it is at least nice they brought her back in the movies even if for small roles just to kind of they brought her back but yeah but that's that's horrible yeah, I didn't know all the. I heard the one I heard was the the alcohol. I heard about the sexual assault. But yeah, that's probably and that's yeah, that's probably more common back then. Unfortunately, they want to want to admit. So. Yeah, there's a dark side to Hollywood. Yep, for sure. And a dark side of this episode. It's a dark episode. But in a fun human drama way yeah well i I should preface that because it's fun but it but what they're describing is not fun at all it's horrible it's horrible so this is a hamlet episode but the thing i i mentioned uh, phil off off screen before Mm -hmm. in dialogue is just let's say it from the get-go this is a also a nuremberg drama Right. This is all about war crimes. And it's on display. And they're very much talking about war crimes. Mm -hmm. And having two Jewish actors, Leonard Nimoy and William Shatner, talk about war crimes, even in a sci-fi backdrop, Mm -hmm. is phenomenal. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, that's... When Trek, Trek was at its best, when it would do that, I mean, they they touched on the the Vietnam War, they touched on, mm-hmm. yeah, they, they never civil avoided rights. civil rights, um, and uh, yeah, but this 
And it's, I'm really glad you mentioned that because again, this is one that as a kid, I did not rewatch this one all the time. As a kid, mm-hmm. you want to watch the phasers and spaceships. Oh yeah. You want to watch and Arena. So this, but, right. And yeah. this went all over my head as a kid. I thought it was a cool one because I still remembered it, but I never, again, I never got the full context of it. And looking mm-hmm. at it now, it is, that's totally accurate that this, this is dealing with way bigger issues than just you know the sci-fi setting, which is great. Why I love genre entertainment and why I always vociferously defend genre entertainment to what I would honestly describe as Oscar snobs mm-hmm. is that, you know, for the average person, Phil, it's like, I don't want to watch a movie about racism. I don't want to watch Crash. No, please don't make me watch this. All right, fine. We're going to watch this this Charlton Heston movie with apes in it. Cool. He goes to an <laughs> ape planet. That sounds like fun. I want to watch that. Yeah, in yeah. the middle of watching this this fun movie of Charlton Heston get chased around by apes and shooting people, it's like, woo, yeah. Suddenly it's like, hey, some apes seem to be more equal than other apes. <laughs> right. Yeah, yeah. Hey, wait a minute. They based it on the type of ape they are. Wait a minute. Wait a minute. And I love that about genre entertainment. Is yeah. It's, a, it's what Mary Poppins once said of, a little spoonful of sugar makes the medicine go down easier. Yep. So even in 1968, and still to this day, I would say, yeah. doing things about the crimes of of the Nazis and the Japanese Empire is really a tall order. Yeah. But having that little layer of sci-fi and escapism can get you comfortable to really exploring these ideas. Yeah. Because there's a great line, and we'll, we'll talk about probably, where McCoy mm-hmm. questions, well, even if this person is who you think he is, what will prosecuting get? Because it's been yeah. years. Yeah, 20 years. Which was about the a time since Nuremberg, for the between the time of Nuremberg and this episode. Yeah. Which is very, you know, because it's it's interesting to look back. We look back; it's 50 years since this episode, but at the time it came out, World War II wasn't a distant memory; it was a living memory. Mm-hmm. And the Nuremberg trials that William Shatner was in, uh, as well, the movie about it. Mm-hmm. So yeah, this was very lived in, very real. Uh, and that's what in this episode. What I like is they ask a lot of questions and don't answer them. You never get a clear answer of one way or another what the right thing to do was and that's pure trick that is pure trick yeah you got to figure out if if what happened you know what what they should have done and they never say this this was the right way to go Mm -hmm. Uh, so this what so this is the only track this tracks uh, unlike the other ones that are allusions to shakespeare this one actually starts with shakespeare yes a play they're like just showing us a play that when again with my long memory before rewatching it again, I thought it was going to be. Uh, I, I remember the Macbeth stuff more than I remembered the Hamlet stuff. Oh. this one starts with it. It starts with the bloody dagger and and yes, and there's lots of murdering going on and uh, and it's fun. It's a fun scene that you know it starts with and and again so neat in Trek is that they start with the scene they're watching a play. At a theater, which you never see in Star Trek. Like, mm-hmm. you never see them on planets doing normal things like going to the show. But here they are at a show. 
watching a play and you see the knocked out, like they even added the little details that, you know, like the knocked out uh, guards for the King in the hallway. I'm like, that's really cool. They like, they didn't have to include that and no one would have cared, <laughs> but I cared, you cared. Yeah. And then, well, they cared yeah. because, and okay, part of, yeah. part of why Sh- Shadner has the infamous, which I parodied at the beginning of this episode, mm-hmm. kind of, method of talking was because he was a Shakespearean trained actor so his that kind of method of reading dialogue is perfect for iambic pentameter Mm -hmm. and so actually as much as I was joking I would love to hear Shadner do to be or not to be or Shakespeare I I know there are some recordings out there and I, I need to check them out that's actually that would be actually really cool to do. I gotta look for those too. And and so that brings in a little bit for his touch. And so also a bit fitting for who Caridian really is is that we see, first see Caridian playing Macbeth. To have a murderous warlord, our introduction to him is him playing the murderous king. It's a wonderful, brilliant little touch. He's great. That guy is great. I never saw him in anything else. He was legit. Oh, yeah. So uh, let me give credit where credit's due. Actor's name is Arnold Moss. Mm-hmm. He is fantastic. He gives one hell of a performance in this episode. <clears throat> as does the other main guest star, Barbara Anderson. Yeah. As Lenore. Yeah. So... And Conscience of the King, I said earlier, partially because Kirk becomes Hamlet in this story. Right. But I think this is also true to Kirk in general, despite his reputation. Kirk is at his most Picard in this episode. Mm-hmm. In that he really, the doubt is that one, he, he can't, he is not certain that Kodos, that Oh, I messed it up. <laughs> that Caridian is Kodos. But he also even, and he says at one point, this is a man's life. And I can't go on just logic. Because right. at one point, Spock says like, no, this person is Kodos, 100%. Yeah. Because from the purely logical mind of of Spock, it's like, yeah, sure, he's Kodos. Like, yeah, Prob- the probability, pathetic. the probability is high enough. Yeah. And they even referenced probability, and and Kirk was like, that's not enough. Yeah. Which is interesting, because that actually, you know, that's a, uh, and that wasn't as big a deal in the 60s. It wouldn't be till like, the 70s and 80s that people started to really question, uh, you know, capital punishment, like, you know, putting people to mm-hmm. death. And it was the same sort of, uh, you know, what what percentage is enough to of, of evidence is enough to put someone to death? Mm-hmm. Well, and, I mean, hey, it's it's in the American legal justice system beyond a yeah. reasonable doubt. Yeah, and that uh, and what does that mean, right? To to Kirk, it meant a lot. That was the whole episode. Yeah. So got to Shakespearean that, Shakespearean actors. Uh, so what did you think of the one of the tropes I always worry about in, in shows like this? But it's, again, it fits the Hamlet thing is that, you know, so this friend of Kirk's points out that this guy is this old, uh, 
warlord that killed off half the population in an effort to save half the population or was at least his uh intent his version of his intent but it wasn't random it was he chose who was the best to save it was kind of like mm-hmm. an early reference to the wrath of khan eugenics sort of stuff and yes Nazi germany well they well and, they call it eugenics right and... they right and it's yeah and and he uh and he's kind of the ghost he's kind of hamlet's dad in the sense that he's the guy that first like puts some doubt in his mind that this you know because at the beginning and it's been a while since i read hamlet or seen it but hamlet hates he's not a fan of his uncle but he's not looking to murder him yet. yeah no <laughs> until the ghost comes out and says dude he killed me and so you yes. got this the, <clears throat> you know this guy <clears throat> who weirdly looks like william shatner it's kind of weird i don't yeah. know why he just it kind of freaked the, the, he looked really similar i don't know why um, and I love that they don't name the guy too. In the first part of the show, like who's this guy he's sitting next to? And they're clearly buds. Um, but he's Hamlet's ghost that tells him that this is a guy that you have to put to death. And and then like Hamlet's ghost, we don't hear much of from later. You know, then he's out of the picture. Mm-hmm. Um, That's a great the, reading. I did not think of that character that way. But yes, of course he is. Of course, you're right. Yes. Right. And so, and not having him around be the witness he's got to figure it out on his own mm-hmm. uh and okay and i want to touch on you you mentioned earlier but they talk about how kodos massacred people but that it's only through slowly revealing the episode that's a, a nice right. touch is just right. why this is so deep and personal and why this is such a serious grave thing is that they slowly reveal that one kodos was was the the governor of a of a planet of of a colony of 8000 people and that he had food that could only feed half of that that people so he committed a eugenic genocide mass genocide yeah mass genocide and kirk and kevin riley were two of the only people were two of the 4000 that survived are they though? That's what I was wondering. I don't think they ever really said why they know who he is, because I interpreted as they were the people that rescued, that that got to the colony, because that the the whole thing was. Well, Riley, one hundred percent is, because yeah, yeah, because he killed his parents. Yeah. But Kirk and the other guy, the doctor, right? Is he a doctor? Oh yeah, because that's how he yeah. Kirk coming there. He's a scientist. Yeah. I had assume they were there when they got because the whole thing is he kills half the population because he thinks they have a long time before the, any rescue is going to come so he's mm-hmm. got to figure out a way to dole out limited resources <clears throat> makes this decision mm-hmm. and then oops lo and behold the rescue came and if they had just waited like a little bit of time they would have been fine and i always assumed kirk was like part of that first wave as like a young ensign in, in the starfleet but um but yeah, then that that is interesting if he was on the planet too. They, but I love that they never really explain it, and I'm kind of glad that they don't either. I mean, they do Riley, like you said, but the other guy, they just are the ones that know. You know, they're just mm-hmm. the ones that. Uh, uh, well, they it say. Out. Well, it, it's a plot point that there were nine <laughs> witnesses who, who could really identify Kodos. So the fact that Kirk could identify Kodos probably means that he was <clears throat> that he saw him. And so I think that means that he's on the planet. He was on the planet when it happened. 
which adds a layer of creepiness because then he's one of the ones that they chose to survive. Yeah. That which does that, uh, how much guilt can you handle? Let's yeah. throw more guilt at you. Exactly. Yeah, yeah. Which then that might make why then actually your point is interesting then because one of my plot points that I always struggle with in any ensemble shows like this when there's a mystery or and a character has a bit of information but they don't share it with anybody and not mm-hmm. sharing that information causes the conflict for the whole episode. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Usually they have they always have to like hand ring around that like it, it makes for an interesting thing but when you actually think about it like if you just had told everybody at the start <laughs> thing. but in this one it does make sense if he's carrying all this guilt he doesn't want to get everybody stirred up about this thing that it actually makes a lot more sense and and then it fits the hamlet story because hamlet's the same way hamlet's like doing all this kind of on his own and mm-hmm. trying to figure this out and not he does he's got plenty of, i mean he's he's freaking royalty he could ask a whole ton of people to help out and he doesn't yeah. and and he kind of carries it so that was cool and that your i think your version makes a lot more sense as to why he would keep his card so close to his chest and force you know kirk or spock and mccoy to figure it out mm-hmm. <clears throat> which is cool well and spock and mccoy play rosencrantz and gildenstern <laughs> effectively in this story but they live at least they live they live, they live. yeah they live yes but oh, speaking of that mccoy I don't know if you, I just, when I was looking at some of the lines that I really liked, uh, McCoy's first two lines are an iambic pentameter. Oh, that's great. So I was looking at this. I don't know if it was on purpose or if it just happened, but he's, his, his line is the man on top walks a lonely street is 10. Oh. And then the chain of command is often a noose is mm. 10. And there's great lines. They're really yeah. good lines. They're yeah. cool. And, and they're kind of in, in like a, you know, like a good actor. He kind of just throws the lines away. But when you actually look at them, like, oh, those are cool. And they're in verse almost, almost, you know. Yeah. <clears throat> Fantastic. Yeah. So, yeah. It's like, oh, that's why this one, this one's so, so much more special because they definitely dig, they, they drill down into the Shakespeare stuff. It's not just a touchstone. Mm-hmm. It's like a real, you know, everything about it's just like bleeds Shakespeare. Bleeds. And. <clears throat> But it gets into those deep themes that you get from Shakespeare. Right. And Repent. and yeah, the, the, that's one of the great questions McCoy asks is like, is is this revenge? Because uh, like, what will you accomplish if the what, what I talked about earlier at one point, once they know this could be Kodos. And he just responds, well, well, no, but they'll rest easier. And that's a great line, and that's a great justification. It's like, no. Like, yep, yeah, yep. it won't. It was like, McCoy has a good point of like, it won't bring back the dead. What does this accomplish? Yep. I was like, well, they'll rest easier. Yep. Oh, yeah. But so, also, and again, what you touched on earlier is when we have the scene with Caridian where he basically all but admits he's Kodos and offers one of his justifications. And sci-fi remembers because not, not only is one a Simpsons character named after this episode. I know that's both both of them are Star Trek. Kodos and Kang are both Star Trek characters. I'm like, yeah, you've done it. You've done it, Simpsons. You ruined them. <laughs> <laughs> it doesn't distract me personally. I know it. Me neither. I I don't care. But it looks it, nothing like this. It's like it's not at all like no. Right. Yeah. I can understand when you want when you watch the original bond movies you can think in your head like oh austin powers austin powers i can get that yeah, yeah but yeah. like 
because it's that's a more one-to-one parody. That's just more yeah. like this is just a throwaway cool. tribute. Yeah. <clears throat> yeah, exactly. So, um, I, but I love in that that later on the Marvel movies, their characterization of Thanos is basically Kodos. Yeah. I'm just like, we don't have enough supplies, so make sure that our society thrives. I'm going to wipe out half the population. Now, in Thanos' (laughs) – now, bad choice of words, but I'm going to say it. In Thanos' defense, he points out in the movie that, like, no, my genocide was going to be indiscriminate. It was just going to be completely just randomly selected. There was no – Whereas Kodos is worse because he applies his own eugenics theories yeah. in the midst yeah. of it. Yeah. But I understand the motivation where what he says, like, well, he also saved 4,000 lives, theoretically. <laughs> That's what his goal was. But then just yeah. Kirk has the perfect backhand. It's like, well, well, that didn't pan out to be true. Yeah. And history has made his judgment. And that's a great line too. Yeah. So many great lines in this episode. There are that, that that scene between the two of them is. I think that's what the show culminates as as just the scene when he finally confronts him in his room. Because I think it's the only main scene that they're together, other than <clears throat> other than the. Because uh, that's what's interesting about the show is that Kodos. Spoilers. He's he's Kodos. But yes. Um, <laughs> He uh, he's not in the show a lot. A lot of it's no. about him. A lot he's 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 like like Claudius. He's in the background, and we're mostly seeing everybody kind of maneuvering around it. And but this one scene where they get to confront each other, and it has uh, it has again another great little kind of a throwaway to a, a is it as you like it the 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 lives of men speech is that as you like it oh and play um, as many no um. That's uh, yeah. as yeah, that's as you like it. Yes, all the world's yeah, and I like I play many I love parts. That. Yeah, and he has that line in here that's kind of a reference to it when he like he accused of being Kodos and he says I'm an actor I play many parts, which yes. I thought was cool. And also that that good defense of like no I just learned my lines quickly. Yeah, yeah, exactly. And uh, that was the other thing that was really in that scene. There's just a just it was it was very Shakespearean scene. Just the way they kind of argue. Oh, that was the actually that's the part that and. That was very Shakespearean about his responses. Kodos's responses were very yes. much like like a Shakespearean fool, like a character that won't give you a straight answer, and everybody mm-hmm. in a Shakespeare play will keep asking a question, and the fool will answer with a funny pun or riddle, or yes. and and he does the same thing without ever without ever answering the question. He never lies. Mm-hmm. You know, you know, he, but he he just keeps dancing around it again in a very Shakespearean style of dialogue that I just love. Like that whole scene where he's like, you know, are you Kodos? Maybe I am. Maybe I'm not. Maybe I was. I am now. If you need me to be, like all just the way he dances around it is great. Uh, and also like Claudius, Kodos mm-hmm. has this <clears throat> great dichotomy of having so much humanity and so much evil in him. Mm-hmm. That's the thing about Claudius is that he does recognize what he's done is wrong, and he feels guilt. But at the same time, he doesn't want to lose what he's gained. Right. 
Right. And he still presses on with his evil. Well, and that's the thing. He does he because he he he's trying to escape it. Mm-hmm. And and he, I mean he he has the legacy, but he doesn't want to keep being that guy. And the whole that's sort of the underlying. Uh, well, part of this of play is all the murder, this episode murder. is a murder mystery. It's a who done it. We all think it's him. Yes. Being this murderous guy, and it's and and again, spoilers. It's not. It's not. It's which is a wonderful <laughs> rewatch. Fascinating for that he was penitent, and right. he felt guilty, but at the same time, he doesn't want to face his crimes. Right. So. Yeah, that's he true. But he, at least innocent. he's like, no, he's not innocent. But it does it does beg the question: what 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 does a penitent man do? You know, and yeah, you know, uh, mm-hmm. he he has a daughter, and the fact that his daughter is the same age is the amount of time between, you know, yeah, he he mostly was probably doing this for his daughter. Like, I mean, yeah. he even says it. I mean, basically, he wanted to make a life for her, and the best way to do it is to let's do, you know, we'll just travel the galaxy and do theater and. And his shame of, of 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 saying <clears throat> you are the one thing untouched yeah. by what right. I've done. I know, I love that. God, so, it's so good. Of just the shame and 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 yeah. the deep is like, no, you were the one like good thing yep. I had done in the world. And yeah. to find out that she wasn't. She wasn't. She went crazy. So is she the Ophelia? Do you think? I mean, is she? She is. She is 100% the Ophelia. So, uh, okay, so fun other Shakespeare references. One, okay, uh, there's a, a, at one point McCoy refers to Lenore as a Juliet. He does. It's fun. Uh-huh. Little, like, uh-huh. Oh, nice touch. Um, just a great line of dialogue or that I, 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 I put down in my notes. M- McCoy, my father's Oh, no, Spock. My father's people were not blessed with the dubious pleasures of alcohol. McCoy, now I know why you're conquered. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> they're, the, they're the best. I get yeah. it. Absolutely. So, but yeah, no, no, she, Lenore, um, so one of the things that we haven't touched on yet, but unlike the other two episodes, where, which had, Elon was the most problematic and cat's ball it's fake uh-huh. there was actually a nice budding romance in the middle of this and some real good like shatner getting to show his acting chops total charisma uh-huh. and barbara anderson can match him <clears throat> right although she's a little young for him but yeah. you know. Uh, Let's say when she was born, he was like an adult. <laughs> uh, but you're right. It is at least it's handled. It's not as uh, sexual assaulty as some of his other episodes. Yeah, he definitely is trying to be sweet. Actually, oh my God! Speaking of that, one of my favorite little things that I never heard in the first one, and I, I again, I wonder because I did I, a long time ago when they first came out with these remasters, they remastered everything, the mm-hmm. sound as well. And they redid a lot of the music. And um, so I don't know if you noticed when he goes to the guy. So th- they, their their version of the conscience of the king scene is the party, right? Where he wants just to see if he can see this. If, you know, his plan is to watch how this guy acts at a party. Yes. Like, and yeah, where he's a bit looser. Yeah. <clears throat> and he's going to be right. 
And so he goes to the party and he walks into what clearly is a 1960s house. Like they made no effort. <laughs> the yeah. furniture, the curtains were like so 60s. And over the music, the party music was a lounge version of the Star Trek theme. And it kicked me around. I thought it was so funny. It was oh. like, so just checking that scene out, I was like, wait, is it? It's the Star Trek thing, but done as like a lounge song. And I was like, <laughs> oh, good. And I wonder if they added that in later because I, I can't see. Nobody was that meta in the 60s that they would do that. But now I have to know. But yeah. that scene, you're right. The first time they meet, it's really kind of a cute meet. And they're they're, And he's flirting with her. And, and in, yeah. in a non-typical Shatner usually just goes for the kill. Or Kirk goes for the kill, but here he's like, let's just, oh, you're so sweet, and you do theater, and let's just talk, you know? Yeah. And I do love the later line, um, ultra Trek fan Scott Mance apparently would quote this line when talking and to girls on dates, Mm -hmm. like the the observatory scene, which is just a great like sincere romance and just development and like seeming, no, I'm actually into her. Yeah. Where he says, uh, and she's just again marveling at his power and calling him Caesar, and quotes from Julius Caesar: "Do you command the tides themselves in this ship?" Oh, that's cool. And he says, "Well, no." And then he, I, I can't quote. I'm gonna butcher it. I, I can't do the line justice. Is he just says. And her, and later on what Kodo says in a, in a more negative way, is like, are you, with all this power, are you stripped of your humanity? She asks in this kind of like awesome, awe-inspired way. And he responds, mm-hmm. no, like there's, there was always be a woman and they are far more amazing than anything. And I can't do it justice, but the way Kirk Shatner sells it is like, ooh, <clears throat> that is a great pickup line. Yeah. That is just like smoothie. pure. Yeah. Yep. And, and it's interesting going to this episode, how much more budget they had than the Elan episode. Cause that was, uh, yeah. even this is still considered a bottle episode because it really doesn't do much outside of the ship. Mm-hmm. They had that, that set, the set that they were on the little, the observation deck. I don't think they ever used that again. Like that nope. was a one and done set. Yep. And it was kind of a cool little location too. And, uh, yeah, you could just see there was just a lot more. They had more money to do props and sets and and uh, and I love the uh, when they do the show when they do Hamlet, right? They do Hamlet at the end. Yes. And they've got the uh, uh, setting up for what we'll see on almost every other episode of Next Gen, where there's a musical performance or a play. Mm-hmm. <laughs> it's like, <laughs> oh, we got to go see Picard play the flute this week. But on this one, they had everybody sitting and, and whoever couldn't be at the show was able to watch it on the screens. I'm like, that's kind of cool, like that they actually showed how they would, uh, you know, get that that going on that. And that totally <clears throat> is like what you said, nautical. Yeah, no, no, like that's total, like that's the treat. It's like, oh, hey, men, like this troop of actors has come and like in exchange for them getting a, a ride over, you're going to get a play. Yeah, sweet. Yep. And I want to talk a little bit towards the end, or mm-hmm. but let's talk a little bit about, about one Kevin Riley and his... Um, so, fun fact now. Let's get away from the Yem and Rand stuff. Mm-hmm. So, they had just scripted the the character 
the other person who who would know Kodos as just uh-huh. a random character, just a one-off character. Mm-hmm. And they cast this actor, and then they realized, hey, you were in an earlier episode with us. So, what the heck? We'll just m- make it that the same character you played last time. That's hilarious. So they were just like, hey, we can do continuity. So yeah, you'll be Kevin Riley again. Oh, cool. Thanks, guys. <clears throat> Does he ever come back? No, this is his last appearance. Oh, poor Riley. Yeah, but he he got to... Uh, he... Uh, so he gets so developed. Mm-hmm. Of, and, like, they give real good stuff for him. And also... And we just had done this play, so it was a bit in my mind. Mm-hmm. But but Riley, when he's in the engineering, he asks for a love song. And I was thinking to myself, oh, that's kind of like twi- Twelfth Night. Mm-hmm. Oh, my God, yeah. And so, and we get Nichelle Nichols to show off her singing skills in this episode. Her pipes. And she sings a beautiful song. Okay. My one little complaint about this episode is this. Wait, I know what you're going to say. The Go. lamest image in, in like, of all these episodes. And, and we saw a, a pretty fake cat and some pretty <laughs> fake alien aliens in Cat's Ball. There's an evil yeah. spray bottle. Yes. Oh my God. With like, in a, a glove. And, and it's like, yeah. literally they're like, we're going to go to the, we're going to go to this cleaning cart, <clears throat> get this glove. And yes. Oh, my Couldn't God. Couldn't you use a like, syringe? <clears throat> like at least that would have been like. Or a little vial or something dramatic. But yeah. No. A freaking right. spray oh, bottle. It's the one thing that like took me out of the episode. It's like, oh, my gosh. How lame. It was. Although it fits what it was because it was like an actual thing. Right. I mean, it yeah. was like a, it was like a lubricant, you know, but you, even then you don't think Scotty's team has like little spray bottles, like, you know, detergent bottles, like it'd be a cool, like oil yeah. can or some cool science fiction-y, but no, it's literally, they went to, they went to the closet at Paramount Studios. Yeah. has a new and gotta, yeah, I'm totally with you. I understand. It's just like, it's just a one second insert shot. Just get it's, something. Yeah, seriously, they should have rethought it. Just it's, like, come on, just a tiny it, bit of effort. It took me out. It took me out of it. Yeah, that's <laughs> the only thing. But they did a good job with the, I love when, the, what do they call that when you, I don't know if there's a term for it, but like when you watch a murder show or something where you know what's poisoned and you know what's dangerous, but the characters mm-hmm. don't, and you're just like yes. watching them like, oh, no, he's going to drink it. No, he's not going to drink it. Oh, I just love that. And he does yeah. really well. That seems really well done. After the horrible spray bottle, but uh, and it, actually that was actually really again just just taking a little time how effective it was when he's dying on video audio like they could hear him choking and I'm like oh that's so good like that yeah. was still like a cool you know uh, another cool who done it moment like you know someone's dying but you can't get there in time you know which they do they do save him at least but yeah uh, I thought that was just a really just again it, it made the ship feel lived in it felt big it felt like a place you know so, it, like disjointed not, scenes not only great but that also then sets up later on where it was just like kirk was put him in engineering to say to to make it so he wouldn't confront Co- caridian theoretically right right he was more of like he would be more 
they know is like he's going to be more gung ho because his parents were killed. <clears throat> and but then like McCoy mentions like Kodos as he's like treating him. Right. He doesn't mention it to Riley, but Riley overhears, and that's what gets him riled up. <clears throat> yeah, though. Was... <laughs> uh, again, very Shakespearean. Overhears somebody reading a letter. Um... <laughs> yep, very Shakespearean. Well, very Shakespearean, and and Riley becomes Laertes. Yes, he does. Yeah. And uh, but also lives. Yes. He doesn't die at the end, does he? He does. Yeah. He, no, he, he gets stopped. Nope. Only Claudius dies. Or Claudius. But no, she, yes, she does become Ophelia, Lenore, <clears throat> in that she is the murderer. And she goes completely mad in the very end. Oh, yeah. In her Shakespeare quoting off, and Barbara just, Anderson, great job on her just, for one, for one, for how cold and chilling and just like how like, and revealing this Electra complex of just like, no, father, I've done what like, I love you, Father. You're a great yeah. man. And, like, you have nothing to justify. I yeah. do like that, that moment. Like, Kodos, as he's, like, willing to be arrested by, by Kirk, he's just like... I'm just like... He, he gives that one final line of, like, I was a soldier in a war. No, yeah. I was a, no it's like, I was a soldier in a cause. There were things to be done. So, yeah, he, he theoretically does give the Nazi defense in that moment. Yeah, he does. But he sells it. Yeah, because he does. Actor's a great, a great actor. Yeah. And, that, and by the way, him, like, giving his justification, he that doesn't mean, like, he, he, he's right. Or even if he, he thinks he's right. He's just like, look, I, I did what I did. Yeah. Well, it's they muddy it enough that it's not it's it's parallel enough to the the Nazi stuff that you definitely see it. But they also muddy it enough that there is enough doubt that if you took away the eugenics thing and you took away like if if like he may have been right in that if the colony was abandoned for longer and. Mm hmm. A hunk of those half those people survived because of what he did it would have been horrible but he would have been touted as being somewhat of a hero maybe maybe not who knows but we'll never know because it would have been bemoaned but they would have <laughs> they would have at least grant give him the the modicum of may he what he did was evil but maybe it was a necessary evil right and but but then we start throwing in how he picked the people and, yeah which we never 100% know. We just know that he did something. And yeah. I like that they never again that's that makes him a, a more compelling villain cuz he's not a he's not a uh, mustache twirling evil guy no. that's looking to it's not like um what's the um Stephen King story about the Nazi that's still alive and is teaching the kid uh, uh apt pupil I think apt pupil. that's what's called yeah. He's not a guy that's still out trying to kill people but we think he is we think he is for the whole story we think he's yes. still trying to, he's trying to finish the job yeah when you find out he's not that he's actually no. a guy trying to he's not i wouldn't say he's doing like charity but no. he's at least not going around killing people he's trying to put his past behind him raise his daughter mm -hmm. give his daughter a life so he is definitely one of the he's more sympathetic uh which makes it again much more interesting ending than uh mm -hmm. <clears throat> than making him 
evil e you know capital e evil yes and the spar lenore's just full-on madness and just great yeah. great direction choice a bit obvious but just to, to have the crazy eyes just the, the zoom in on her eyes oh yeah and to start quoting shakespeare in this mad way just like yeah random lines like i was looking i'm trying to look one up what did she say like oh proud death like yes. i don't know how many of these are actual lines what feast is toward thine eternal salad that thou such a prince etch at a shot so bloodily has struck i'm like oh that's great i don't know that is it. it's just good yeah she, she does a play on the tomorrow 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 too but she does it yeah. later she does later mm-hmm. later later it's always tomorrow I'm like, oh that's so good <laughs> dang you writer you got it yep yeah this is this is the one that in full captures the feel of shakespeare and the words of shakespeare and the tone but yet, yet adapts it to a, a different medium, and again shows the, as we talked about with the Kurosawa thing, that it, it it's universal. It, it you know exploring humanity is his first and best thing that that you know Shakespeare does, and this one does it you know in spades. I think <clears throat> that's the perfect note to end on. But so I want to talk a little bit just before the end. As they're about to, the actors are about to perform Hamlet, Lenore gives this wonderful introduction where she says Hamlet takes place in this ancient time where humanity was was much more violent and petty. And throughout this episode... And what kind of differs from Roddenberry's central thesis is Kodos tries to say that technology has somehow stripped us of our humanity. And Kirk immediately responds, no, we just have tools. We're still human. Right. What Kodos did was invariably human. The ugly, horrendous side of humanity, but humanity. And that's part of the eternity of Shakespeare is that, yes, our technology has changed when we watch Shakespeare, but even there's something both comforting and also a bit concerning that Shakespeare is still would still be relevant to the audience in the future of Star Trek. Is that our strengths and weaknesses that Shakespeare perfectly captures are always relevant. And they're still repeated. I think that's a great way to that's a great way to put it. <laughs> well said. Thank you. So thank you so much for coming on, Phil. This has been phenomenal. Absolutely, yeah. This is cool. This is a, a good project. Yeah. And, and so fun to do and relook at these these old gems. Well, I uh, so I appreciate the invite. Thank you. Thank you for coming on. Live long and prosper. <laughs> Peace and long life. <laughs>